Hey, you know how computers are designed to make running a business a lot easier? I think that counts for mailing and shipping, too. I don't know why you wouldn't use Stamps.com. You could have 24-hour access to the post office right from your computer. No waiting in line. No hassle. Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping easier. Just use the computer and printer you already have to get official U.S. postage for any letter, any package. Print it. Put it on envelopes. Put it on labels. Put it on plain paper. Hand it to your mail carrier. They'll take it. You're good. It's more powerful than a postage meter. You can avoid those time-consuming trips to the post office. And I personally use Stamps.com. And actually, you could too if you use the promo code BS for this special no-risk trial. It is a $110 bonus offer. It includes a digital scale, up to $55 of free postage. Um, All you have to do is go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BS. Stamps.com. Check it out. The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report, taping this on a sunny Tuesday morning here in Southern California. If you missed me and Zach Lowe talking about round one of the NBA playoffs, we did that on the Bill Don't Lie podcast, which you can subscribe to on iTunes or find on greatland.com. Uh, this is an emergency podcast because it turns out Kevin Love of the Cleveland Cavaliers is out at least four to six weeks with a separated shoulder, a torn labrum, according to multiple reports, which would knock him out until the finals at the earliest. On the line, ESPN.com's Brian Winhorst, who has been following LeBron for his entire career and has been spending a lot of time with the Cavs this year. What was your reaction to this? Well... I knew he was going to be out for this round for sure. I think, you know, he gave some fans hope when he said he could maybe come back for game one of the next round. Obviously, that was never going to be the case. I did, however, think that there was a chance he could play at some point in the playoffs. And I still am not ready to 100% give up on that. I know the Cavs pretty much left it at very little chance. That's very unlikely. Um, but I'm not ready to say that he couldn't have a Willis Reed type moment. Um, but the reality is he's not going to play in this series. And they have to probably prepare to, re- to realize he's probably not going to be able to play in a conference final series if they get there. So that's just their reality. They have to deal with it. I think it, there's some strategy there. I don't think they want the team thinking he might be able to come back. I think they want to be able to prepare for a week to know that he's not going to be there, and that's their new reality. I went to Game 3 in Boston, and I thought that of of any Cleveland game I watched this year, it seemed like the one that Love fit in the best. And they it just seemed like they had embraced this one lineup that had kind of worked and not worked and then kind of worked and not worked, but with LeBron and Love, with uh, Tristan Thompson, with... Oh, I'm sorry. LeBron and Love, J.R. Smith, um, Kyrie, and then either either Shumpert or or Tristan Thompson or whoever. But just those four shooters together, it seemed like they had finally figured out how to all space the floor and move to different spots when LeBron had the ball. Did you see that when you were watching that game? Yeah, and in fact, if you watch the first quarter of game uh, four, I thought they were in such rhythm as a basketball team, uh, yeah. moving defensively. I actually, and it's easy to say now, but in the first few minutes of, of the beginning of game four, I, I, 
I said to him, I was in a hotel watching it in Washington, D.C., and I said, this is the best they've looked all year in terms yeah. of flowing. Uh, they just made the reads. They were totally under control. Um, they, they, they almost could have run their offense in the dark. And I was like, boy, they really have got it going exactly when they need to. I, I actually sent a text message to one of their beat writers yeah, uh, saying this. So I even have a record of it. And not five minutes later in real time, that injury happened. So um, then that's what happens, Bill. I mean, um, it, it, it's, there's so many reasons why winning a title is so tough. When LeBron and other people say it's the hardest thing you do in your career, they say that for a reason. And one of them is that you're always just one bad step, one stretched ligament, one sprained ankle from being put in a different position. And that's what they now face. And they get into a very long line of teams that have faced adversity like this. Some of them have come through and been successful. Some of them have been totally short-circuited. And we're just going to have to see how it goes. Yeah, I I had never been totally sold on love as a stretch four. And Zach and I had been arguing about it on our podcast all year. And Zach liked it. I, I was a little more dubious of it. And I just thought it was such a shame. I love love around the basket. When I went to that game three, um, I, I just think you can see things better in person than, than you do on TV sometimes. And the way the guys were moving to these different pre-range spots when LeBron had the ball, where it looks almost chaotic on TV, but in person it's not chaotic. You're like, oh, there's actually a real plan here. And I thought Love had really figured out what his place is. Because even like in game one, um, when he got benched the last four and a half minutes of, of that game – and I was disappointed as, just as a Celtics fan because I, I, I hadn't felt like they had figured out how to use him. I was like, oh, this is bad for the Celtics that he's not going to play crunch time. And that game three, and then as you said, the first quarter of game four, was it just seemed like everybody kind of collectively figured it out. And LeBron had gone to another level. He was amazing. Um, I'm, I'm with you. This It's so hard to win a title. You need so much luck. You need injury luck. You just go year by year, and there's one team every year that had some sort of bad injury break at some point. The 09 Celtics was the best team of the KG era for the Celtics. KG lands awkwardly on a dunk. That's it. You know, in this case, the Cavs lost their third best player, and I still think that this is really, really doable for them. Um, they still have the best player in the world, but wouldn't you agree that now their lineups are super predictable? They don't have a lot of options with lineups now, right? Yeah, there, I would say the best way I can see it is their margin for error has been reduced. And so often in the postseason, it really comes down to margin for error. You know, for example, the Cavs' margin for error against the Celtics was enormous. Right. Um, they, could, they could play a C game and still win. Now, without Love and without JR for the next two games, they're not going to be able to get away with – I mean, you're probably going to only have to be able to play a B game to beat the Bulls or the Bucks with all due respect, but let's just say it's the Bulls. Maybe you have to be it. You can maybe beat them if you're at a B, but now you're not going to be able to do that. Now, if you have an off game, you're not going to have as much uh, give. And I will say this. They do have three guys sitting on their bench. Sean Marion, James Jones, Mike Miller. All three of them are past their prime. All three of them have not done much this season. All three of them you really can't count on. But... If each one of those guys has one good game in a series against Chicago and one good game in a series against Atlanta or Brooklyn or Washington, that can be the difference. 
And so at least when they're going down to that bench, at least it's guys who are, number one, versatile. They can play multiple positions. And two, have at least been there before and are not going to be shell-shocked. Now, I am an avowed realist. I am not going to sit here and tell you that Mike Miller is going to dust off that bench, come in, and uh, all of a sudden make all these threes like he did with the Heat a few years ago. But he could. And if he does it in one game and tilts the balance in the Cavs' way, it can be the difference in the series. So it's not like they're looking down there at guys like Joe Harris, Matthew Delavadova, um, or name your young, unproved player. They at least have something on their roster that they can at least hope could give them something. And the problem is all three of those guys might be washed up. And, you know, James well, Jones came up. in. They're, they're all washed jo- up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James Jones came into game four, and he missed basically every shot he took. And it, and that was a game they would have won by 30 points if they just had their full lineup the whole game. I, You know, for me, part of this might – not be the worst thing in the world because I think LeBron is best as as that power four, the power guard, and uh, their crunch time lineup now it's pretty clear what it is. It's going to be Kyrie, Shumpert, J.R. Smith, LeBron at the four, and then either Mozgov or Tristan Thompson, depending on you know who's what the matchup is and how one of those guys is playing. The problem is, let's say Tristan Thompson has five fouls and there's eight minutes left in the game. They don't really have a lot of flexibility now, especially against a bigger lineup. Now you're relying on Mozgov for crunch time, or now you're hoping Tristan Thompson doesn't get a six foul. And this next series, assuming it's the Bulls, I mean, who the hell knows with the way the Bucks are playing now? But you know, the Bulls have so much size up front. Um, I think the Cavs would beat the Bulls, but you're putting a lot of lot of power forward miles on LeBron in that series, and. I mean, were you shocked by how much, how many minutes he played in that Boston series? I was stunned by that. <laughs> margin for like, you know, you're hitting on margin for error. That's right. Yeah. And if you're if you're the Bulls, and we just like to have a blanket pre- uh, preface here. I respect the Bucks. I believe the Bulls will win one of the next two games. Yep. Uh, I believe it's going to be the Bulls. I don't. I I I, I don't want to disrespect the Bucks, but I do believe it'll be the Bulls. So I'm just going to refer to the Bulls from now on, and you can. And horse with me later if the Bucks make a comeback. No well, listen, no, no NBA team has ever come back from 0-3, so I think you're pretty safe here. Okay. Um, if I were the Bulls, my game plan would be tire LeBron's backside out on defense. Yeah. Um, if, if you if, if you know, they're not going to be able to put him on the perimeter. He's going to have to guard the interior. And so that means I could see LeBron having to guard Joe Kim Noah and that not, actually not being the worst thing because Joe though is not moving well at all right now. Yeah. And um, and actually, Miritich is sort of gimping along, too. The Bulls aren't exactly healthy on their front line. But if it's Miritich, run him around the perimeter. If it's Taj Gibson, put Taj in the post and, and throw it to him two or three times, even if he doesn't score, just making LeBron dig in and battle. LeBron hates that. He hates having to guard in the post. He's okay yep. offensively at times. He hates having to guard the four. So that's what you got to do. You got to wear him down. And you're right. There, he's going to play 42, 44 minutes a game. Now, they did a good job this year. David Blatt did get his minutes down after playing him a lot early in the season. He did get his minutes down. He did get some games off. I, you know, um, LeBron played fewer minutes than games than Tim Duncan did this year. I mean, not fewer minutes, but fewer games. I should right. say. Um, so I actually think I'm okay with them letting him go 40 minutes. But if but if his 42, 43 minutes is actually feels more like 52 because he's got to play 25 or 30 possessions 
as a post defender, it could slow him down. And I think that's a no-brainer game plan for Thibodeau. And the other problem is, when you talk about the margin of error, it also reduces the LeBron queen of the chessboard factor, which was on full display in Boston, where it's like, oh, I'm going to play power, power guard now. Oh, I'm going to play power forward now. Oh, I'm going to go over here. Oh, I'm going to guard this guy. You know, And he's just going around and doing whatever he wants. In a Bulls series, if love's out there, LeBron can now say, oh, Jimmy Butler's hot? Let me take him for a few possessions. Oh, Derrick Rose is getting, getting going? Let me, I'll guard him. And now they can't do that because if they're too big guy, you can't put J.R. Smith or Iman Shumpert on Joakim Noah. Like you're going you're gonna to get hurt in the boards. LeBron's also going to have to rebound more. Um, I'm not totally sold on them being able to play Thompson and Mozgov together in crunch time. I don't know what the what the lineup that is on that, but uh, it just feels like it would clog the middle and kind of reduce some of that slash and kick stuff that I feel like they were kind of perfecting. Um, it also puts a ton of pressure on Iman Shumpert, who I thought was really really good in this Boston series. But man, can you imagine if that if that trade where the Knicks gave those two guys away for nothing? Um, the Cavs' entire trade uh, title hopes now hinge on that trade, right? <laughs> well, that's why they are where they are, because that trade was so successful, and they picked up the first-round pick in that trade them to get Mazdav. It was an absolute home run. Um, yeah. You know, the Executive of the Year votes were due uh, last week. Um, it'll be interesting to see who wins it this year. Um, a lot of people would say, well, you give it to the Cavs because they got LeBron in love. But I actually think David Griffin did his best work as a GM in the middle of the season when he made those two deals to, 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 to acquire them. Now, the J.R. Smith piece, um, this, you know, the Cavs fans are, are upset. They don't think he should have been suspended for two games. Um, this is what you signed up for when you traded for J.R. You signed up for the guy who's a uh, microwave uh, scorer who can hit four three-pointers in seven possessions, who um, can go way deep and, and, and do everything. This is what you signed up for. This is what you um, agreed to. It was the guy who would do this. Um, and the thing with Shumpert is he is he is going to compete defensively, but offensively he's going to be inconsistent. You know, he's going to have games where he looks like he could be a a, um, a borderline star player, and there's going to be other games where he gives you nothing at that end. So there's there, again J- margin for, for JR. Error. Yeah, JR is true. a guy who can go four for seventeen in any game, and I think you know. Love was a little bit up and down, but pretty good three-point shooter uh, these last couple but months. But you knew you were getting 16 and 10. Even if you had a bad night, yeah, you were, you were getting 16 and 10. That's just not going to be there. Um, and What was that so stat? Right. Like only, only, seven guys had, only seven guys had 16 and 10 this year, I think? Yeah, I didn't see no that. That sounds right. That sounds right. And, and you're right. They can't play Thompson and Mozgov together. That ruins their entire offensive system. They have to play with a small foreman who can shoot, who has to be respected. That's why Kendrick Perkins won't step on the floor in this series. I mean, not not in a meaningful way, because you can't just plug right. him in and say, well, he'll, he'll, he'll play minutes in center. Because you don't even, I mean, he's even worse, because you don't even have to guard him at all. So they're going to try to get away with Sean Marion and Mike Miller and James Jones playing minutes at offensive uh, power forward and LeBron playing defensive power forward. And um, their their warm blanket in all this is they do play in the Eastern Conference, and the, the Bulls aren't exactly. While Derrick Rose has had his moments, um, the Bulls are not exactly tearing people apart, and he's slowed down as the series has gone on. And now he's not going to get as much rest before the next round. 
So this isn't the Bulls, the Bulls team that they could be. It's better than we thought they would be a month ago, but this Cavs still, in my opinion, have the two best players in the series. Um, they still have the home court advantage, although that's going to be really tested in the first two games. Uh, and LeBron has won a road playoff game in 19 consecutive series, which is, I haven't asked that to info to run the numbers, but that's got to be up there with historic type Celtics of the 60s stuff to win a road game in 19 straight series. Um, means you got to win a lot of series, which he has. Uh, so you got to figure if you're the Bulls, you know, LeBron's maybe going to get one while you're in Chicago. So, you know, it's, I still think that they're in reasonable position. They just really have to up their game. I, uh, was really impressed with LeBron last, you know, those first two months, it looked like he was a guy heading into a different phase of his career. And, you know, he, he was able to rest his body for a couple of weeks in Miami, uh, came back. I think he kind of figured out what was going on with his team. I think he's in shape now. Uh, I'm not sure he was in shape the first couple of weeks of the season. And, uh, you know, he just, to me, he looked like the same LeBron I've been watching in person for the last six years. You know, he's can do whatever he wants on a basketball floor. He's devastating when you post him up on the high post. And I'm with you. As long as you have your best two guys, ultimately everybody else is a role player in that situation. I love Chris Bosh. He was a role player for Miami. He was. Uh, I loved uh, Ray Allen in Boston. He was a role player when you really think about it. You, you have your two guys, and then everybody else kind of fits in. And if they have LeBron and they have Kyrie, those are two guys that at any point in a game can get hot and take over a game for four to five minutes. And that's what's so impossible with them. The Celtics were really well coached. They were totally overmatched from a talent standpoint. And Cleveland was bored playing them almost immediately. And they would get bored. The Boston would claw, claw back. And then Cleveland would be like, oh, all right. Kyrie's going to score 10 points in three minutes. You know, it's when you have those two guys, you're going to be able to beat anyone in a series. So, you know, I, I guess my point is if I'm a Cleveland fan, like I'm very bummed out about this love thing, especially with how he was looking in these lineups. But you still have LeBron. You still have Kyrie. You still have two of the best eight offensive players in the entire league. And I, I certainly don't think that this is over by any means. I mean, you don't think that either. Can, can we have an honest discussion real quick about the Celtics and an honest discussion about Kelly Olenek because yeah, the Kelly Olenek thing is, is now a historic moment in NBA history. And it's going to be one of these things that's going to get debated for a long time um, because everybody comes to every right away. They want to say, was that play dirty? And it, it's like, it's a, it's like a black and white answer. He was either clean or dirty. Um, it's not a black and white play. It's a gray area play. But that, because Love, especially if Love doesn't play again this postseason, and let's say the Cavs wash out here, however it happens, that is now going to be on Kelly Olynyk's record for a while here. And it's a real yeah. complicated situation. Um, well, and you, and and I, on top of that, you have, you have the Cleveland fans who haven't had a title in 51 years and are understandable, understandably and rightfully furious about the play and feel like it was a cheap shot. I totally get it. Um, you know, if the roles were reversed, and they were for me seven years ago with the Bernard Pollard play on Tom Brady, which, you know, wasn't premeditated, but also wasn't a great play and the kind of play that 
they eventually outlawed. Um, I get it is my point. I just think I've been watching the guy for two years. You could say I'm a homer. I, I'm pretty realistic with my own team. If it was somebody on our team that I'd been watching for two years or like, oh, that guy's kind of a loose cannon or oof, that guy's a little bit dirty. I would say, all right, I see it. I've never seen that guy do anything dirty. And if anything, I just think he's clumsy. And I think he was kind of stumbling a little bit. And Love had just hooked his arm, and he hooked his arm back and didn't realize that Love's arm was turned a certain way. Like, I honestly think that's what happened. Uh, yeah, the, the quotes were pretty strong today from the Cavs. Uh, David Griffin, their GM, said that it sickened him, the play, the way the play happened. Um, there's obviously been those two photos floating around the Internet. One is, of love, um, basically arm barring uh, Olenek when the ball's coming off the rim, and the other one with yeah. Olenek having his hand ra- around Love's arm. The difference in those two plays is uh, here's what you got to understand about Kevin Love: is that Kevin Love is you know the way he rebounds is by doing that. He he holds the yep. other guy down, he holds him back. He, he's not a great jumper. Um, he's not all that super quick, um, but he is an expert at uh, the hand fighting. So. That's how he rebounds. Um, and after four games in a week, I'm sure Olenek and all the rest of the Celtics fans were tired of it. They were tired of Kevin Love sticking their, his hand in their chest and, and pushing them back. Um, well, quick interjection. Brad Stevens, this is Brad Stevens' biggest uh, thing heading into game four. And if you remember, he caught a timeout a minute into the game because the Celtics had gotten beaten in an offensive rebound. The one thing they were determined in that game was not to give up offensive rebounds in that game. And all of those guys were like, you give up offensive rebounds, you're coming out. So now that, that brings a different intensity to the proceedings. You know what I mean? Right. Fair point. So I think the issue is Love is doing what he – you probably could have taken 100 photos of him doing the exact same thing. He's looking at the ball. He's going for the ball. Where the area gets gray is that on the play, the ball is bouncing away from Kevin and Kelly to the right, and Kelly Olenek is pulling Kevin Love's shoulder to the left. We know this because his shoulder got pulled out of the socket to the left. So yep. um, do, do, do I think that he honestly, in his mind, said, I'm tired of this guy, I'm yanking his arm, and I'm going to make him hurt? No. But I do think in that moment he was frustrated and he yanked on his arm. I, don't th- I think it's quite obvious he yanked on his arm because his arm got pulled out of the socket. I don't think that's debatable. I don't, you know, you're right. He doesn't have a history of, of doing stuff like this, I searched to see if he had a history. I asked some people, I was with all these Canadians covering the Wizards-Raptors series, and they said no. I said, you, you know about this guy like in any like junior national team, like you know, dropping gloves with the guy from the Ukraine or anything? No, you know, his, his background is clean. So, you know, if you're a jury, you would, um, you know, you would have to weigh that. But we also know that the ball was bouncing to the right, and Kevin Love's arm got pulled to the left. So, yeah, I get it. It sounds like JFK. <laughs> back, watch, <laughs> but, watch his arm back into the left. <laughs> back into, down into the left. So um, the other thing I'll say about the Celtics, because I loved, for me, whenever you and your dad are talking, it's like, with all due respect to our friend down in, um, uh, in Miami, the number one uh, father-son relationship talking about sports at ESPN is you and your dad. And I listen to Thank you guys you, talk about this stuff. You know how I feel about your dad. I love him. Uh, <laughs> the the Celtics are a, an eon away from being a real team. Um, I understand yeah. that they, they overachieved this year. I will pile on with everybody else that Brad Stevens is a great coach. 
but there's nobody on that roster. You talk about the Cavs losing their third worst player and that or their third best player, and that that's like that's a um, a role player, and Chris Bosh right. is a role player. The Celtics don't even have anybody who honestly would be in the top three on a good team. And getting no, those three players, have, I don't think I don't think we could have had a starter on on uh, if you look at the top nine playoff teams. I'm not positive any Celtics starts for any of them. And it's not just a guy on the roster who's coming in that direction. And that's my no, thing with the Celtics. I, it's, it's, they have made it's chicken salad out of you know what. Yeah, it's this beautiful meal that doesn't have an entree. There's a ton of appetizers. <laughs> that's right. If you're waiting for and the steak the to come, it's not coming. Get? What's the hardest yeah. thing to get in the NBA? You know, so I, I just, I mean, I don't want to belabor this because that's looking back and not looking forward, but as, as much, and, and look, I know they've got 65 draft picks and, and cap space coming, and if Danny executes a trade this summer where he trades three first-round picks and, and Jay Crowder for an all-star player, then we'll have, the, we'll have a different conversation. But as of right now, this Celtics team, as they're currently constructed, is not going anywhere. And I think, you know, I think Danny understands that and knows that. I just think that this series definitely showed that. No question. And at the same time, I'm still glad they made it. I think getting to play in playoff games and seeing a different level of intensity and seeing kind of who caves and who steps up and things like that. Like, I learned a lot about Jay Crowder in that series. I learned that that's something I'd I want, want him to go on, to war with. I'd want, yeah. Jay Crowder, I'd want Jay Crowder on my team. Um, I learned that Marcus Smart has a long way to go, but at the very least, like really can be a rich man's Tony Allen and is somebody that can play in those games and can match people athletically and things like that. Evan Turner was pretty interesting in Game 3 with some of the stuff he was doing. I learned Isaiah Thomas has limitations. Like This was somebody that we were talking about um, as a starting point guard and somebody who potentially was the trade steal of the year and all this stuff, and Iman Shumpert shut him down just shut him down to the point that um, I was starting to wonder why they didn't try to bring Thomas in when Shumper wasn't out there. Um, so I think being in a playoff series is great. I, I really never think there's a downside to it unless it's a situation like Toronto where they clearly had uh, checked out on their coach and the whole team, things like that. But, um, you know, I, the one thing I'll say about Olenek, because uh, I get the Cleveland fan thing with, you know, it's been so long since they won a title. They are – they're predisposed to getting upset about stuff like this, and I do not blame them. But I, I just – I think from everything I've heard, from anyone I've ever talked to with the Celtics, and just from watching people get interviewed and watching how they interact and things like that, I just don't think he's that kind of guy. If he got frustrated for a split second and is uncoordinated and was just trying to grab somebody's arm back, I don't think he was hoping the end result was, I'm going to hurt this guy. And – you know, the difference is, as you said, when you look at the history of a player, if they have no history of a dirty play whatsoever, um, but then you look at J.R. Smith, who he, you know, decks Jay Crowder in a play yes, that if it, happened in a, if it happened in a pickup game, everybody would be like, what the hell did you just do? Why did you do that? Um, and he's done it. You know, he has a track record. This is like 10, 11 times where he's done something like that in a game. To me, that's where the history might come in. And same thing with Dwayne Wade, our old friend. How many times did Dwayne Wade kind of do a little extra and it was like always on the gray area, but when you add up seven or eight of them, it starts to look shady, you know? And for Linux, as far as I could tell, this is the first one. And let me say something about David Blatt. David Blatt did a very nice job in that series of making an adjustment, basically taking Isaiah Thomas away. Um, yes. And so now, so 
So, so that was the first real challenge, and it wasn't a mountain. It was a, it was a, it was a, a steep hill. But he, they took away Isaiah Thomas, neutralized him the last two games. So that's a good return on David Blatt's first big time playoff maneuver. Now he is tasked with figuring out a way to make the team that he has, uh, uh, you know, get it right. And he has an advantage, and that advantage is he's got a week. Because of the Bucks' kind victory over the Bulls last night, Cavs now have seven days to put together a game plan. They knew yesterday that Love was going to be out. Um, you know, they probably knew Sunday he was going to be out. So now he's got seven days. You know, his veterans can have some hard practices. They can have a little mini training camp here. Let's see what he comes up with. And then even more importantly, when the first phase doesn't work or the other, the other team stops it, let's see where he comes back. Um, to me, this is where David Blatt is going to be judged. He's not going to be, for, for as much as we've talked about him, as much as I've talked about him, for as much criticism as he's had, um, he will be judged on how he handles the adversity that happens in the postseason series because that's where all coaches make their money. And so, uh, you know, he gets a, a strong grade for the Celtics series. That was the preliminaries. Now we're in something more serious. Let's see what he comes up with. And their chemistry was excellent and has been excellent for a couple of months. But it, I like that, the, that, you know, their team kind of uh, tried to out-physical the Celtics after that. I mean, obviously I don't like what people are going after guys on my team, but I think that, that to me that was a sign like that, 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 that team's all in it together and just watching the way they interacted in person and things like that. I think, I think Perkins has really helped on that front, and I think it's a much tighter group than it certainly was in January. Maybe not. Maybe the Blatt thing with LeBron, who knows? I mean, it seems like it's going well. Um, the best thing that's happened to them, and you brought it up earlier, this Bulls team, regardless of whether they get out of this series or not, really should have lost the last three games. They, I mean, they could have lost that Bucks game. The Bucks had the ball at the end of regulation tie game, end of overtime tie game, and couldn't close it at home. Bulls won in double OT. Bucks win the next game. Bucks win last night. And the Meritich injury really hurts the Bulls. He, he was huge for them the last couple months. Uh, as you said, Noah's not the same. Hasn't looked the same all year. It's just looked, uh, I would say, 50 to 60% of what he usually is. And Tosh Gibson, his head's never really been right either. And then there's like a, you know, Rose, for what he is game to game, does have kind of a hold on that team where he's superstar Derrick Rose, the way they, they give him the ball down the stretch, stuff like that. But I'm not sure he's that player game to game anymore. And Butler's been really good, and I just think they're. My point is, I think they're catching them at a right at the right time. And then you look at Atlanta, Washington, which is probably going to be the next series unless Brooklyn makes a, a historic comeback. Uh, Washington is certainly beatable, and Atlanta, you can't say you liked anything they saw from them. So I still think the Cavs are heavy favorites to come out of the East. What do you think? Yeah, uh, they have the two best players. <laughs> I mean, I know you, again, you can get a debate on Kyrie Irving and John Wall, uh, looked remarkable. I just, I was at all four games that I'm sorry to say of the Raptors wizard series. John Wall was awesome. Uh, really for three and a half yeah. of the four games. And, um, so, you know, he, you know, he's in the, he's in the conversation, you know, you, you know, the, the Hawks will have their arguments, but Kyrie Irving is arguably the second best player still playing in the East. It's arguable, but it's there. So they still have the two best players, and you know they're going to have home court in this round. And we'll see what happens on their side of the bracket if Atlanta doesn't get it together. I mean, they're nine and ten now uh, in their last nineteen games. That's that's a quarter of a season. 
That's not um, that's not a blip. And what's happening to Atlanta is what we all thought might happen to Atlanta, which is when you can prepare for their set, when you can uh, try to take things away, um, you can, you know, you know, last night they kept running plays for Kyle Korver, and the, the, the Nets kept having him covered. Now, he's good enough to where he can still take a shot over a guy and still hit it. But he's not getting as open as he did when you had one day to prepare. And so, again, their margin for error, to go back to it, their margin for error is much smaller now. And you got Paul Millsap reminded me of Antoine Jameson. I think Paul Millsap's shoulder is, is much worse than they say it is. He's, he's, he's throwing Horford. up these awkward... Yeah, and Horford with his hand. Uh, you know, Millsap is throwing up these, these sort of one-handed shots that remind me of Antoine Jameson because I don't think his, his shoulder is right. So, um, to me, the most interesting team, uh, we're going to focus, we're going to focus on the Cavs, but the Wizards are unbelievable. Uh, like, even Dwayne Casey, like, he, he's like, we prepared for this team, but this isn't the team we prepared for. He, they were so shell-shocked. Right. At the, and, and because the Wizards were completely inconsistent during the season, it's hard to say, well, but they've got it now. But the lineups that they're playing and that they're being successful with, they didn't play all year. Uh, they, they played Paul Pierce at power forward like 120 minutes during the regular season. So, of course, they prepared it's... for that, the Raptors, but they crushed the Raptors of that lineup. And here they are shooting, th- I think they were 27th in three-pointers attempted during the regular season. They're putting up like 40 a game now. It's the weirdest thing that he never played Pierce at the four because – that's how Brooklyn's whole season turned around last year when they started playing small ball with Chris at the four. And my, my Wizard fan friends were just stupefied all year why they didn't do that. But um, I like the way the Wizards are playing. I, I think that Toronto team was pretty lousy, though. That You talk about Atlanta's been 500 for like 20 games. Toronto was 500 for like three months. And that was a team yeah. like I felt like if the Celtics – if the if uh, not the Celtics, the uh, if the Bucks had played Toronto, I was going to pick the Bucks in that series. I really thought the Bucks were going to beat them. Uh, you know, as, Washington, as I was watching, oh, good. I was watching Kyle Lowry in this series, and I think he might be more hurt than he's letting on. But I agree. In three or in three or four years, when we look back, and Kyle Lowry was voted in as a starter to the All Star game, and that move cost Kyrie Irving. $10 million and saved the Cavs $10 million because if Kyrie had been voted in to the starter, he would have qualified for the Rose provision and he would have wow. gotten his salary, his salary jacked up. And, um, the Canadian push that got Lowry in left, um, left Kyrie in the, on the out. And the, the contract that Kyrie now has, which is five years, 80 million starting next year, with where the cap is going, is going to be one of the greatest contracts in the league if he stays healthy. And it was already going to be that, even if he got the Rose provision, but but Kyle Lowry and the Canadian votes pushed him out of that money. Um, right. And and just Lowry, was, was he wasn't even one of the seven or eight best players in that series. Um, it was I really had Lowry, when, when I did the trade value, I think I had Lowry like 13th. Or fifteenth, or I can't remember. I definitely had him in the top twenty. He he's definitely hurt because I, I watched that guy in person in December, and he was on the Chris Paul level. <laughs> like he he killed Chris Paul in the game I went to, and now he couldn't even kill. I don't think two thirds of the point guards in the league. So something was wrong. And Atlanta, Horford is hurt. Millsap is hurt. 
I noticed the same thing you did. I, I'm just stunned watching these close Hawks games, how much they rely on, on getting Kyle Korver off balance threes. That this is not the team I was watching from November to uh, March. And I actually think, you know, they might have to experiment with playing Dennis Schroeder at, at, uh, at crunch time with Teague and with Korver. And they're like, Coach Buds is going to have to get creative if he gets to that next series because the Wizards, I think, are going to beat them. I just think they're a better team right now. Uh, you you just watched them for four games. Am I crazy? Wouldn't the Wizards, wouldn't you take the Wizards in that series? So right now they've got Paul Pierce rising from the dead. Uh, absolutely amazing in that series. Uh, they have Drew Gooden hitting three-pointers. The guy had never hit a three-pointer in his playoff career. And it was a pretty extensive playoff career. He, I think he played 60 playoff games. And he hit six in the last three games, uh, which stretches the floor. Um, yeah. You have... Uh, like Gortat, you know, Gortat is one of the most night and day players in the league. Gortat's getting it done. And then John Wall, when they have that spread offense, when they have, um, you know, Pierce out there playing four and the emergence of Otto Porter, Otto Porter in March, Otto Porter averaged four points and shot 30% in 15 games in March. And he shot 60% in this, and I think averaged 11 points in this series. So you put Otto Porter and Pierce out there and Porter is long defensively, so he enables you to cover up for Pierce a little bit at that end as you can put him on the other power forward, or you can put him yeah. on a wing player. Um, the floor is spaced. And when the floor is spaced and you have um, Martian Gortat or Nene, like those pile drivers, come up there and set a screen for John Wall, it's over. Ball gets the corner turned, and it's over. And when he's got those guys hitting shots around him, he finds the loose bolt, and hits the guy, and they get it done. And the Raptors are not a good defensive team anyway. So it was a little bit like, you know, they only had to beat one layer. But that's going to be an issue. You know, um, the Hawks would match up better because they're a better team. But that lineup, if it's successful, it, that's the kind of lineup that if you find, it's sort of like getting a hot goal. Um, yeah. If you get that lineup going, and, it, and, and the players get confidence, and it's confidence is so important for a guy like Otto Porter or Gortat, uh, and even Drew Gooden. Um, all of a sudden, you can get you can get something special there. And you know they, you know, I saw that they were all all them, all the Wizards players last night were sitting in the front row at the Capitals game. Yeah, and uh, you know you could you can sense their team coming together. Um, there might be something special developing in Washington. There just might be. Wow, I'll tell you, Joe House and Andrew Sharp right now just had to go take a walk, just take take a lap and regroup after hearing that. I listen, they always had good chemistry, always. Anybody who was in that locker room and around those guys never doubted the chemistry. Um, I don't think anybody ever doubted the talent. It to me, it was just a flat out coaching debacle, and he was playing the wrong lineups. They didn't really have an offense. Um, when I say playing the wrong lineups, like. It's basic stuff like you can't play Nene and Gortat at the same time because then John Wall can't do slashing kick because he's got two guys, guys clogging the lane. Like this is basic stuff. Uh, you got to play out of Porter. He's he's young legs in the perimeter. Like you need this guy play him. You can't just have Bradley Beal doing isos. He's not that kind of player. Like these are all things you'd watch the Wizards and eventually I just gave up on him uh, for whatever reason. And I, whether he was playing possum the whole year or whether the right person just had a conversation with him or whatever. But all the stuff Whitman did in that series were things that anyone who watched the Wizards all year was wondering why they didn't do. And on top of it, 
it's now Pierce's team and you can feel it. And, and he is, you know, one of the great clutch guys of this era. He's, he's got, he's been in a million big games. He's one of the few guys who has gone toe to toe with LeBron and actually won. I don't think many people could say that. Uh, and he has just an incredible amount of confidence and swagger and charisma and can kind of suck people into it. And, I, I think they're going to overpower that Atlanta team. If Horford and Millsap aren't right, I just don't think Atlanta has enough. And now all of a sudden you're looking at Wiz Cavs in the finals if that happens. Now it's Pierce LeBron meet again. Is there, <laughs> I mean, that's the best Eastern storyline, right? Yeah, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. But Wizards, I'm telling you, make it a point. And, and uh, your boy House had some, some great tweet the other day with the hashtag Whitman playing chess. You know, that, you know, the idea <laughs> right. that he was doing a little, he was playing possum and playing rope and open, all of a sudden broke out the real, the real game plan. Now it's time for the real game plan. Um, what's going on in Washington, I, like all of a sudden, it's like you watch them play and you're like, wait a minute, how many games did they win? Because materially, if you go player by player on the roster, just like take them out and look at each player, is who has more talent, the Hawks or the Wizards? It's no contest. And the so, other thing is, they figured out if you just play Nene and Gortat together for like 48 minutes and they just share 48 minutes together, they're going to give you a really good 48 minutes. You know, They're going to get to 15 and 19 combined, which is great for a center. And uh, you know, I think that's the best way to do it. And, that, and the other thing is, playoff Nene is a lot different than regular season, keep getting them checks Nene. So he'll always, in a playoff series, he'll always have two games where somebody either elbowed him or somebody said something to him or whatever, and kind of Nene wakes up, and that's a big monkey wrench. Pierce is a guy who can wake up in any game. Bradley Beal could get hot. when You know, it's a dangerous team. Do we ever know what happened with LeBron and Pierce that started their whole thing? Because they, they in the <laughs> mid-2000s, like, legitimately hated each other. So I, I know where it started. I, I don't know if there was some other piece that I don't, I don't know about, but um, what year did the uh, the 2000, 2004, there was the Red Sox, the first Red Sox title, right? The, yep. the night of game one of the World Series, the Cavs and Celtics played a preseason game at Mohegan Sun Arena. And right. I remember this. No, nobody attended the game because the Sox were about to play in game one of the, of the World Series. And that game got nasty. Um I think Jeff McGinnis and Gary Payton almost got into a fight. Um, the, the two sides started um, shoving each other a lot, and like there was nobody in the stand, but it got nasty. And so as it would have it, they teams played again the exact next night at Ohio State University in Columbus. And that night, LeBron, who was still coming into his own at the time, it was his second season, decided he was going to try to show some people up, and he went a little bit too hard at Pierce, and at one point picked Pierce's pocket and went down and dunked and sort of mugged at him and trash-talked him a little bit. And Pierce was hearing it from the, from the Cavs bench, and he went over and sit at the Cavs bench, for which he was later fined, if you can remember. Way, way back in the archives, Paul Pierce was fined for spitting. And I know all of New England was not, was not paying attention to this because they were watching the Red Sox break the curve. Um, right. And... In the, in the locker room, so they're playing at this college, and in the, the team's locker rooms were side by side. And 
uh, and there was just this one hallway, and Pierce went after LeBron in the hallway um, after the game, and to the point where uh, Pierce had to basically be carried horizontally away into the locker room because he wanted to go after LeBron so bad. Probably the closest thing LeBron's ever been to a real fight, which wow. Paul Pierce at that time, age 20, maybe 25, 26, LeBron age 18, 19, I didn't like it for LeBron. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so they had, that's where it really started. And supposedly like in an all-star game, like the year, a year later, they buried the hatchet, but then they started playing each other in the playoffs. And, um, Pierce in, in his, uh, in his, his truther rant with Jackie McMullen, which may go down as the NBA interview of the year, uh, where he's just yep. firing truth bombs left and right. I'm pretty sure one of the things that he said was, if uh, LeBron had come along a little earlier, he wouldn't have all these championships and stuff. Basically, is saying I got a little, I was a little old, but I would have held his his backside down if I was a little younger. And so he he might be right about that because you know Pierce took LeBron out twice, including that great Game Seven in two thousand eight, where, yep. where LeBron had forty five and Pierce had forty one. So it goes all the way back to some preseason games, and it would be wonderful to see them play. Again, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's got to happen. The, the Hawks have to get out of their own series right now, uh, um, uh, you know, just before we can even talk, talk about how the Hawks might match up with the Wizards. But um, well, the Wiz, the Wiz could beat either of those teams, though. It's funny. I had heard. I remember the tunnel story. I it's been so long. I didn't remember all the specifics of it. My my theory with all this stuff is anytime NBA players hate each other, there had to have been a girl or some sort of gambling incident involved as well. This might have been one of like the one out of a hundred times where it wasn't gambling or a girl, and it was actually just stuff that happened on the court that mushroomed. Because that was the year that Paul Pierce was really crazy. You know, that was the year uh, I think Ricky Davis was on that team and Gary Payton, and that was the year he uh, he bumped the per- he got thrown out of uh, the Pacers playoff game, and uh, with like twelve seconds left or something for a cheap shot foul and everyone in Boston kind of briefly turned on him and he kind of lost his mind that year. And then the next year, um, kind of calmed the ship and became Paul Pierce again. So well, there was other, there I, were other incidents too. Um, so Maverick Carter, everybody knows that that's Le- LeBron's longtime business manager and friend. His father is courtside sometimes. And there was a game uh-oh. later that season where Otis or Odie, as everybody knows him as Otis was running his mouth at Paul Pierce. Mm-hmm. And Pierce got into a running dialogue with him, and Pierce put like forty-four on a, on the Cavs in a regular season game, and the whole time was yeah. looking over at Otis. And then, of course, in the playoff game, you remember when Pierce and LeBron tumbled into the uh, into the stands, and Gloria James got in Paul Pierce's face, like she got up out of her seat and chased him down to scream at him. And that was the classic moment where LeBron <laughs> came to Gloria and told her and said, "Sit your ass down." You could you could read it right out of his lips. Um, so Pierce and even LeBron's family have uh, have history. Well, and then you go to 2012, Game Five, Miami at Miami, the Celtics, and Pierce and KG down the stretch. Pierce hit some big shots, and and is yelling stuff like that I can't repeat. And KG is just going in on LeBron in about as personal and terrible way as you can go in on somebody in the last 90 seconds of that game. And they they were just convinced at that point that they had broken him as a human being, 
and that he was never going to be the same. And they had solved the LeBron jigsaw puzzle. They were in his head that he, that he was just never coming out of it. And then that leads to game six, the famous LeBron game, which was the most important game he ever played when he goes to Boston and literally murders the KG Paul Ray era. He, he transforms his career, ends up winning two titles. So I think there's a small piece of that too, because that that's about of all the stories I've heard about games being played and stuff people have said to one each other. Uh, that game five in Miami is the most personal I can remember hearing stories about a game. This thirty for thirty, the Pierce Lebron thirty for thirty, and like twenty thirty two. Man, yeah. it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And um, you know, Pierce, he's such a truth teller too. You know, who knows what he might say when he's got gray hair. And, uh, and an artificial knee, and he and he doesn't mind embellishing a little bit. But um, well, and who knows what he'll say in that? In if it's Wiz Cavs Eastern Finals, who knows what he'll say during that series to try to mess with LeBron? Don't put anything oh, yeah. past that dude. He'll he'll try to get in his head, and he'll try to get in Kyrie's head, and um, he'll try. He'll don't think he knows that J.R. Smith is a very easy guy to get suspended for oh. two games. All that oh, stuff is in play. A- Wiz Cavs, yeah. He'll that'll be a one a. I mean, look. I don't want to say that the Raptors were mentally fragile, but Pierce took them down with two letters, IT. Yeah. He took them down. Um, and so you know, I mean, they, he's already, they've already gotten JR. They almost, they almost got JR a couple of years ago when uh, the Celtics were still trying to hang on yeah. in that series against the Knicks. They, 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 they got him in that one, but uh, the, the Knicks ended up winning that. But um, we've already seen, you remember when, the, when JR wore all black? Yeah, everybody to wear all black, and and then they lost the game, and the JR got suspended for, with Jason Terry. I mean, you know, Pierce has some history of getting in, into JR's head too. Well, and then the other thing with Wiz Cavs, and then we got to go, is uh, they, the book on LeBron for the cat for the Wiz in that series is LeBron doesn't get easy layups or dunks in this series. Just period. You, you're knocking him down every time. He doesn't like. He doesn't love getting hit. Um, he takes hard fouls personally, and we're, that, that's just the way this series is going to go. That's what the Celtics would do to him. You don't get you don't get layups, and you don't get dunks in this series. Like just know this going in, and uh, and I think you have to do that. That was a frustration for me with the Celtics, and that's been a frustration for me watching the Spurs against Blake. You 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 gotta you gotta use your fouls. You know you can't let. Guys like LeBron and Blake feel like they could just sail down the lane and do whatever they want, and and the Wizards will not do that. That is a team that is built to uh, prevent that. Now, after we've after we've blown them up for the last twenty minutes, watch them get swept. <laughs> <in route two. laughs> I know, I know, I know. I I, I I picked the Raptors to win the series, so I mean, I'm already out. I'm eliminated from me too. Picks on the Wizards. Yeah. All right, Brian Windhorst. Uh, never a dull moment with uh, with the Cavs and LeBron. I'll, I'll sure. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week or so. Good luck covering everything. Great job uh, on all your TV stuff. You continue to get better and better. I'm proud of you. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bill. Take care. All right. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Wanted to remind you, we have a new podcast that I'm hosting called Bill Don't Lie, NBA only, every Monday. It is not a BS report. You have to subscribe to this on iTunes or get it on ESPN.com's Pod Center. It's called Bill Don't Lie. NBA guests every week, NBA talk every Monday. Check it out, iTunes, please.